Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 306. The summer has started for me here at the back of the range, which means lots of amateur golf and lots of travel. After the national championships in Scottsdale, I headed back home to South Florida for a couple days to get prepped and packed for a month-long journey. Four tournaments in four weeks. The first stop was the Dogwood Invitational at Druid Hills Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. The tournament is quickly becoming one of my favorite stops of the year. This year was absolutely spectacular from start to finish. The play was superb, the hospitality was even better. Hunter Logan from Mississippi State dropped a 61 in the second round to distance himself from the pack, and he held on to win the 2023 Dogwood Invitational. Neil Shipley from Ohio State and Maxwell Ford from Georgia tried to chase him down in the end, but it was Hunter Logan that pulled off the win. And it also earned him two exemptions on the PGA Tour Australasia. Huge move by the committee at the Dogwood to pull off getting their champion two professional exemptions. Their committee is aggressive and forward-thinking, so I can't wait to see what they bring to the table in 2024. I won't have to wait long to see Hunter Logan in action again. That's because he was on my flight the following morning after his win at the Dogwood. So was Devin Patel from the University of Virginia and Maxwell Ford. And also Jackson Buchanan from Illinois. And I saw Yuki Moriyama from UNLV as well. No, we the back of the range didn't charter a jet. We, we don't roll that way quite yet. But we were all headed to Pittsburgh. And more specifically, the Sunahana Amateur. The first tournament of the summer's Elite Amateur Golf Series. So I'm here in Pennsylvania, just getting my feet wet and settling in for a great week. But before we turn focus to the summer... Let's drop another episode that I recorded a week ago after the national championship. My guest on this episode is Ryan Potter. He's the associate head coach for the Wake Forest women's golf team. And not just any team, the team that just captured the first national championship in program history. We spoke about Ryan's start in the game and his start in coaching which is a family affair. Now, normally when I ask a guest how they got into coaching, I'm generally curious and I may not know the answer. Well, with Ryan, it's a little different. When your dad is legendary coach Mick Potter, head coach of the Alabama women's team, yeah, I think even I can put two and two together and see where he got his start. This is a fun episode. We talked about the culture at Wake, their approach to this season, that magical run in the desert, and I even got him to share a little dirt on some of the players on the team. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you, Rachel Keene, and I'm looking at you, Amelia Miliacho. So, quick reminder before jumping into this episode, there's a lot going on this summer. Content galore. It'll be posted on the Elite Amateur Golf Series social media channel, so make sure you're following there. Follow at the back of the range. I'm going to be all over the place, so just come along for the ride. Let's jump into this episode. Ryan. You're at the back of the range. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, Ben. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I think that if I'm, I'm talking with you, we're doing some things right. So uh, happy to be here and look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a rule that uh, only national champion uh, coaches get to come on the back of the range, but it doesn't hurt their chances. So uh, have you somehow unplugged, calmed down, slowed down, put your feet up? Have you... Have you decompressed at all since uh, since the ladies of Wake Forest won the national championship just two weeks ago? Yeah, not really. I mean, I was thinking today that I've, I've been home for two, one full day without having any kind of work to do. So we got back Thursday. We, we do a ladies camp every year. So we, we had that Friday, Saturday, Sunday for a couple hours went right into that and then spent Memorial Day with my family. My, my parents came up. My mom was actually watching our kids uh, because my wife is our director of ops. So she was out with us. So hung out Monday and then Tuesday, my dad and I went, uh, flew into Newark. We played Ridgewood, Marion, 
Pine Valley. So I, that was relaxing, although really, really, really challenging courses. So sure. uh, I got the stress level up, but I uh, just was recruiting the last couple of days. And now I just flew to Latrobe and we're doing a Wake Forest golf event the next two days. And so, uh, no, I haven't really <laughs> sat down and relaxed. It's, it's been a lot, but it's all been good stuff. And I think maybe uh, Tuesday through, through Saturday, I'll, I'll get a little rest. It sounds to me that the calmest part of this whole stretch was actually just trying to coach a team to a national championship in the desert. I'm exhausted just listening to all this. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, being at Wake, we have a lot of special people that are involved in our program. So I wanted to do something with my dad, and, and you just don't get those opportunities a lot. So that worked into to recruiting, and, and and then this this golf experience has been planned for a couple months. But, yeah, I mean – I love it. It's a lot, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I will say this coaching at Greyhawk was not stress-free. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, being, it's, yeah, being a Greyhawk is, uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Cause I, I obviously I, I spend a little more time on the men's side and how that course and being in Scottsdale affected that, um, that championship, but I'd love to get your insight on how it affects the women's game. I have my ideas and thoughts and, I'd love to get your in, your input on that, but um, before we jump into the latest uh, uh, adventures of in the life of Ryan Potter, just uh, you know, winning a national championship as the assistant at Wake Forest, we uh, we got to do a little bit of work uh, on on what and, and discuss what led up to that. And um, you know, when I talk to coaches, you know, obviously this is just a generalization, but it seems like I run into coaches. Uh, and we, we kind of uncover their story. A lot of them were maybe former players that tried to play professionally. And then maybe when that didn't work out, they said, oh, well, maybe I'll coach. Uh, that probably is not the case with you with your start in the game and also your start in coaching. But first things first, talk to me about your start in the game, how you actually got into playing golf. So, yeah, my, my story is a little unique. I, uh, you know, I grew up with a, a Hall of Fame golf coach as my father, Mick Potter. And my wife jokes around with me. She remembers everything in her childhood on Christmas mornings, all the details. And I mean, really, for some reason, the only things I remember are being at golf tournaments. <laughs> and I remember being at Furman or I just saw Vicki Getz Ackerman yesterday at the tournament. And I grew up watching her play when she was at Georgia. So right. I just. I just remember being at all these different places and, and being around his, his players and just having such a fun time. And, and so I grew up around the game and, and I, I started playing probably when I was five or six and it, it was just my time with my dad and, and I loved it. And, and obviously eventually I, I learned a lot from him and any, any success that I have, I attribute it directly to him. So yeah, I mean, I, I grew up around golf. I grew up around Furman University and uh, had a great facility. And, and I played in high school and, and I went and played at Furman University and had a great experience there. It's very similar to Wake and, and size and to liberal arts school. And just all of that was just very, very comfortable for me. And and so, yeah, I mean, I got to see my father every day and he was my coach. And it was just really ideal for me. So, you know, that's kind of how I... I got into golf and, and from a coaching standpoint, you know, I had the, the best mentor and to learn from ever really, right. You know, as my father and I graduated Furman right when I graduated Furman, he, he took the job at Alabama and, you know, I don't think he really wanted to cause he was so happy and, and comfortable at Furman and they were going to be a good team, but moved down there. I went to grad school there. I was thinking about playing, but in the back of my mind, I always knew, you know, I was a nice player. I just wasn't good enough to, to do it as a career and, you know, make a lot of money doing it. So sure. that was always in the back of my mind. I went to grad school. I, I worked with the, the men's team as a volunteer assistant at the same time, worked at the golf course and, and I, I just fell in love with it. So it, it was a pretty easy transition for me and, and it got my competitive juices going as well, just like golf did. So, you know, that's kind of my background. So did, did your father, and again, your father, um, you know, coached uh, 
you know, Furman from 82 to 2005, and then he's been at Alabama ever since, won a national championship in 2012. And we can go down the list of all the professionals that, uh, or all the, all of his players that have ended up playing professionally and having success. But, uh, we don't have that kind of time. Let's just say that uh, <laughs> a lot of players you see on TV on the LPGA tour, there's a, there's a good chance that, uh, Mick Potter had a hand in, in, in some of that. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but did your dad, like, was he 100% uh, enthusiastic and, and maybe not pushing you, but encouraging you to to coach? Or did he say, hey, you know, here's – I guess he, you would already know what, what are the positives and negatives and, and the requirements on your time. What was maybe that start of you kind of saying, hey, I think I want to do this and – and and go the same route that you that your father went. I joke around with with him a lot that uh, you know I need to stay in coaching and, and I think I'm pretty good at it, but I, I don't know what I'd do if if I didn't because I, I don't think I'm good at anything else. So <laughs> okay. uh, he might have seen that that in me at, at an early time, but yeah, I think the great thing about both my parents is that they they wanted me to do things that made me happy. And they never pushed me to do anything. And, and my wife and I try to do that with our two little girls now, too. I think it was a, a really valuable lesson for me. So, you know, I, I did know what I was I was working myself into. And, and it's a different lifestyle than a nine to five. But I think what, you know, they did well is they allowed me to, to explore and do what I wanted to do. But at the same time, he could be someone I could lean on and, you know, kind of get the full scope of what I'm about to enter into the good and the bad. And, um, so he, he was just, yeah, it, it, I kind of knew what I was working my way into and, and, and he helped me with that. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, they just wanted me to be happy and, and, um, started off coaching men and, you know, he helped me through the transition moving to coach women's golf too. So that was probably the, probably the most heartfelt chats that we had as far as coaching went. That's uh, okay. I want to put a pin in that one because I do have that question because you do have experience coaching men and then obviously coaching on the, on the yeah. women's side. And um, you mentioned being a volunteer assistant at Bama just to give listeners a little bit of your your uh, your journey along the way. Um, looks like two years as an assistant at Ole Miss and right. then uh, assistant coach at Ohio State for four years and then, um, you know, popped into UNLV as the assistant coach for a couple of years, then a quick stint in Charlotte, and now we're at Wake. So you have, I think I got that right. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that was perfect. Okay, we could throw some other teams in there if you want to, just to kind of pad the resume. It's entirely up to you. Know, that's just, you know, facts are just details around here. We don't need that. But, okay, so you've been Mississippi, Ohio State, UNLV. So you have a little bit of a different um, uh, path that, than maybe most and I guess for a better part of a decade, you were at four different programs. You had success along the way. Um, you know, how do you remain, and this is maybe more of a business question than a golf question, but how did you remain focused on the current position you had while also keeping in mind that you obviously want to advance your career? And even as we speak, I mean, I'm sure at the end of the day, you want to be a head coach somewhere. So that's just the natural progression. How do you remain focused on your current position while also keeping the the career path in mind? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. You know, starting out when I was coaching men, I didn't really have the thought that I wanted to move around a decent amount. And and that's changed currently as well. So I was at Ole Miss, and that opportunity at Ohio State came along. And, you know, it's not like I was really looking for something different, but it just I interviewed I worked for Donnie Dar. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he, him and my, my dad are, are two of my biggest mentors. He um, he talked so much in my four years there, and I'm I'm so thankful. A lot of the things that we we work with our players on or help them with, I learned from him. So I just thought it was a great opportunity to grow as far as coach goes myself, and so I was there for four years, which is a, a decent amount of time. And, the reason I, I, I moved to UNLV was I made the decision there to, to start coaching women's golf. And really, I mean, I, I wanted to take, there wasn't that much available, but I wanted to take the best job at the time to, to get started and get my feet on the ground there. And so after that, you know, I moved to Charlotte knowing that I was probably going to do something different pretty soon, but 
I just think that, you know, my wife wasn't happy being so far away from family and it's just a different world. So, you know, that was why we made that transition. I'm really happy where I am and we've been here for a long time. We love raising our kids here and, and Kim and, and the administration has been great for me, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that you have to do the best job you can wherever you are and, and things work out. And, and so that's what I try to do day to day. And, you know, there's, you always think about the next step, but to me, I think everything just kind of plays out and you get to be where you, where you should be if you do a really good job. So I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, some might think that if a coach is bouncing around a lot, there's, you know, they're, they're always looking for the bigger, better opportunity. But you you mentioned coach Dar, who's the assistant at Oklahoma state under Alan Bratton right now. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like a rite of passage for coaches to move around because you get to learn from so many other coaches. It's, it sounds like it's just part of the education process. Sure. And I mean, I think everyone's trying to ultimately be a head coach. And, and to me, I mean, I, I learned from one person for a majority of my life and yeah. it, it was great for me to, to experience different working with and, and under different people, but also being at different areas of the country. And figuring out how to recruit at Ohio State and, you know, figuring out, you know, doing the same at UNLV, how to compete at these places. So, yeah, you're always I think you're always growing as a person. You're always growing as a coach and and, and you're getting an education throughout your life. You never stop learning. So, you know, I've been I've been very blessed to experience a lot and I've covered pretty much most of the country. Okay, you mentioned about moving from coaching men to coaching women. What perhaps, mm-hmm. and you mentioned also you talked to your dad a lot about that. So what was maybe the thought process there of making that transition? Yeah, it, it was kind of a leap of faith, really. I mean, we, we, had, had, we had done some nice stuff at, at Ohio, or, uh, Ohio State, and we, we had no All-Americans my first year, and we made the match play, and we played Oklahoma State at, at, at Karsten Creek, which was a really cool experience, but you know, I just, I just had this thought in the back of my mind that I might not be as good coaching men as I would be women. And a lot of that, I just thought, you know, my dad's really good at coaching women and our personalities are pretty similar. You know, I think this may be a better path for me and talk to him about it. And he kind of seemed to agree. And, and the one thing he said was like, look, Ryan, you, you're going to have to start over. Like, you know, if, if you were thinking of getting a head coaching job soon, um, you, you're kind of, kind of starting at zero again. So, and, and I knew that, but I just wanted to do what I thought I'd be best at and what I, what I thought I'd love the most. So, um, so yeah. So what would you, I don't know if you can pinpoint one thing, but is there maybe a certain skill set that you have that are, are part of your personality that applies better to the women's side of the game as opposed to the men? Yeah, well, the, the thing I always say is that coaching men, I always felt like you had to prove that you had a, a lot of knowledge to, to help them. You kind of had to do that to get in the in the door with them. Okay. And, and, and you know, I, I didn't love that part of it, but women, there's, you know, it's a little bit more emotional. They're very coachable, which I love, and, uh, and there's maybe a little bit more emotions there, but I I just, my dad's very fatherly, um, very caring, very thoughtful, very uh, empathetic. And so I I think that, I hope I have some of that, but we just seem to have similar personalities, mild-mannered. But I always wanted to have girls, like when my wife and I were, were having kids. Okay. And and I love it. So I, I'm surrounded by by women. I have. You are in an ocean of estrogen, aren't you? Yeah. My 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 boss is, is a a female. I coach females. Even my dog's a, a female. And and we do have two little girls. So I, I don't know. I just I don't know what it is. I think the characteristics that my dad and I I share just work well. So you're saying maybe the 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 fatherly and building the relationship is more important on that side. And maybe on the men's side, at least just, you know, paraphrasing, it's more of, well, prove to me that this is the right shot. What's your track record? What have you done at this level there? Maybe on the women's side, it's less about that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And, and there, and there are certainly exceptions. I mean, I coached the Palmer cup this summer and yeah. 
uh, I'm standing on a tee and Gordon Sargent starts asking me all these questions. I'm like looking at him like, like, dude, we've just met and you're, you're really asking me this. This is pretty cool. So (laughs) there, there certainly, there certainly are exceptions, but yeah, I'd say for the most part, that's correct. Okay. Um, I think one of the things, I mean, gosh, we've already talked about this. Your summer doesn't stop. And I mean, most summers for a college golf coach, I mean, when that last putt drops, you're not heading to the beach and putting the feet up. Um, Mm -hmm. I know this, this summer is going to be a little bit different, but for a typical summer, when the season ends for people that think that you're just hanging out on campus, uh, waiting for the players to come back, what does a typical summer look like for you? Yeah, uh, we get a lot of people ask us, you know, so like, what do you do in the winter or the summer, implying that it's, you know, a part-time job and, you know, to tell them like, it, it never ends. You have, we do a couple camps on campus and, and I might work one or two more just to make a little extra income. And, and so we have that and then we have, you know, we're recruiting all over. So I'm going to go to France this year, um, you know, do the junior girls, junior PGA, number of AJGAs along the way. So you're recruiting a lot because you're always trying to find that next person to replace uh, Amelia or, or Lauren or Rachel. And, you know, we're, we're, we, we've got 23 and 24 kind of taken care of and, and continuing to work down the road. So yeah, yeah it, it just never ends. And, and part of, you can't talk to, to recruits or their parents, but you can certainly, do as much homework as you can and and get to know them from afar. And, and so it's, there's always good players out there to, to find. So yeah, we, we're pretty active in the summer. You know, you mentioned recruiting your father's first big recruit was Dottie Pepper, Mm -hmm. major champion, Solheim cup legend. Who, who was your first recruit that you first landed where it was really, you're the person, not the head coach, not anyone else. Who was your first recruit? Yeah, um, it was when I, well, well, on the female side. Yeah, sure. It was, yeah, yeah um, a girl named Lizzie Pryor. She's from England. And it's kind of funny. We hadn't seen her in person, just sent, sent video. And and we hadn't gone over to, to Europe before, but saw her video, got to know her, really liked her, and uh, thought she was going to be a good player. And she turned out to be a, a, a really nice player for us. And just along those lines, when I got to Charlotte, we were just starting the program. So we were just recruiting, you know, we were trying to get six players for that first class somehow. And it's kind of cool this year, a girl named Eleanor Sado from Sweden, same thing, had never seen her play, just saw her video. We're like, man, I think this girl's going to be good eventually. And she transferred out of Charlotte after a couple of years, went to Arizona, but she got her tour card like right out of college so it was kind of cool unrecruited player who who no one really knew about and so something about her that she she worked that hard uh and and loved it so much that she she's on the lpga LPGA tour now well that's uh that that's good work i mean uh, i don't know (laughs) i don't know how you look at a video and figure it out like i mean i obviously you look at the swing but Sure. You know, it's, I mean, how do you look at a video and try and figure it out? Yeah. A lot of it's fundamentals. Some of it's for female speed. I mean, okay. you go out to a tour event and, and they all hit it far enough and, and the, the good ones are hitting it really far. But I just, I, I have a belief that if you have good fundamentals, you have a, a coach or, or someone that's, that's teaching you the proper way and you have a work ethic, ethic that, that you can be really good. Um, and so I think if you have those three things that, you know, it's going to work out for you. I don't know the time frame, but if you have the persistence and, and you have those three things, then, then uh, you're going to have some success. Yeah. Well, I, I need to ask you a little bit about this year winning this national championship. You know, I, I really mm-hmm. don't pick a whole lot of winners or give predictions. It's kind of not really what we do here. But, you know, I kind of had it in the back of my mind. I'm sure a lot of other people had it in the back of their mind as well. But if anyone was going to possibly stand up and uh, and knock off Stanford this year, Wake really had to be at the top of that list. And I know that was the end goal, and you achieved that. And I'm just wondering, was that something that was on the bulletin board in the team room? Was it a constant focus throughout the year, or 
Was it something that was, you know, all right, we know this is coming, but how did you approach going into this year with, you know, I mean, you have Amelia Miliachos, it's her last year of eligibility. So this is it for, for her playing with Keen and, and Walsh. I mean, this is, this is the dream team. This is it. You got to get it done in this year if it's going to happen. How did sure. you, how did you go into, you know, setting up focus for this year? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think everyone knew coaches, players that, that we had a special group and you know, everyone was aware that it was Lauren and Amelia's last year as well. So I think that was always in the back of our minds, but I think, you know, on the forefront of our minds was, you know, we just, we didn't play well at Greyhawk the last two years. Actually, the first year we played well, we just had a bad six holes at the end and, and missed out on match play, but we, we certainly didn't play well last year. And so, you know, our, our main goal was we got to figure out what we need to do to play better. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we knew like, look, we're a great team, but we got to take care of some things along the way throughout the year if we're going to be successful when it matters most. So, um, so that was, you know, that was kind of the way we looked at it. And, you know, the focus was on Stanford for, for a lot of the year and, and that was fine. I think it probably motivated our players a little bit hearing it and, you know, got them out to, to practice maybe a little bit more than they would have. But, you know, we had to focus on ourselves if we were going to, you know, do what we do what we wanted to do at the end. We've, um, we've talked a lot about, uh, about Greyhawk, not just for the women's game, but for the men's game over the last uh, two, three years. Uh, it's, you know, from my perspective, you go someplace where uh, the weather obviously is a challenge. It's super hot. It's super dry. The conditions of the golf course, you know, the ball is traveling a different, uh, a different distance and it's just, it's just different golf. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering what specifically did you and coach Llewellyn perhaps do to prepare for, you know, a national championship in and of itself is, is a pressure cooker. You want to be there and you want to try and compete for, for the win. But it's also at a, a, like I said, there's just so many different uh, variables to, to, to playing in the desert. Were there specific things that you did to try and prepare the players? Yeah, you know, a lot of what we do in our programs individual. So, you know, what do you, what do you specifically need to do in your game to, to play well? But then, you know, what can we work on a little bit so that, so that you're ready for Greyhawk? And, but if I'm just talking generally, looking back on the last two years, you know, one, the, the fairways are, are narrow. They're narrower than anything we play. And so you take that compared to, say, a long cove where we've had some success. You can hit in the rough at long cove, and there's always an out. You know, you can get it running up to the front of a green or running on a green or something like that. At Greyhawk, you know, you have tight fairways, um, thicker rough, and kind of pop-up greens that are, that are firm. And so if you miss a fairway, it, it's a real challenge to get it on the green and, and it's a challenge to make par. So knowing that we needed to be a little bit more accurate off the tee. We needed to be accurate with our, our iron play. And we focused a lot on that individually. And then we just had a lot of three putts the last two years. And so just a, a focus all the time on speed and the proper, proper speed and, and what we needed to do to, you know, get it down in two. So those were really the two main things. The other thing that probably you don't give enough credit for the first time you play that golf course is how adaptable you have to be day to day, but throughout a round too. And we saw that this year, it was, you know, nothing, nothing really new the first two days, but we didn't have a lot of wind. The greens were probably a little bit more receptive. And I think we were 17 under. And then that third day, I'm not sure they watered the greens at all. You know, the, they probably didn't cut the rough. And we just had an unfavorable win for six holes, and we were like 11 over. And so the, the golf course can change just so fast there. Yeah. And, and you go from it being, you know, having a pullover on at 6 o'clock when you're playing in the 6-10 pairing to you get out there at noon, and, and it's hot, and, and the ball's going so far. So – we really tried to do uh, just be aware of how to be adaptable and, and be aware of how far your ball's flying hole to hole and, and picking up on changes like that. So that was really important to us. We went to mountaintop 
in North Carolina and between regionals and nationals. And we just got lucky. They had similar rough and they had their on elevations on a mountain. So it helped us a little bit in that sense before we went. Oh, that's good. You get, get a little acclimated to the uh, elevation, the, the distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I, so my f- feeling on Greyhawk and I don't know if it's, if it's consistent or popular or whatever, but I, and, and if I'm wrong, tell me, but I always, you know, I would see some of the ladies hitting into some of these greens and they're just not compressing the ball enough and they're not hitting the ball high enough to carry, you know, or to, to, to stay on the greens. And they're just at such a disadvantage. Uh, mm-hmm. I even remember seeing Amelia who compresses the ball, hits it very high. I remember her just, you know, seven, eight iron, I think on like, uh, what is that? 14 par three on the back. Um, 13, yeah. 13. Yeah. Just her and, and her opponent not holding the green. And I'm thinking if, if Amelia's not care, not holding a green, then who else is, <laughs> but I'm thinking like, is it the fairest test national championship test for the women's game? And we're not going to be back there next year. So, so, so speak, speak freely if you want to. You know, Ben, I, I used to think that it wasn't a good golf course. And then I realized that we just, we were playing bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I was there a couple of years ago, but what, I guess it's, you know, what's a good test to you, right? So do you have to drive it accurately and, and is your iron play in order and, and do you have, you know, the short game and and putting stuff that you need. And so I'll say this. I thought the golf course was set up very well. The first two days you, you could score if you played well, I thought the third day, like you said, I think you just have to make sure that you've prepared the golf course properly for what the conditions may, may, may hold that day. So I think when it gets like it does for the guys, like really fast, really firm, probably not for us. Right. Right. But, but I do like it to where if you have a back flag and you have a little downwind that it makes you think a little bit, right. So you have to do a little math and, and, and hit your spot. But when it gets to where, you know, you can't hold a green with a nine iron, uh, that's a different story. Yeah. So I don't, I I, I think it it is. I, I think the fairways could be just a little bit wider. Um, but you know, we, if you're playing well and you have your stuff, you can play really well there too. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, yeah, there, there are a few things that could be tweaked, but, um, but I think that, you know, like I said, we just didn't play well the first, first two years and, and man, we played well this, this week and, and, um, got, got rewarded for it. Yeah, I mean, you're heading out of there. You're the last team that's going to be competing there. We're going to San Diego next year at uh, La Costa. So yeah. Um, yeah, you got right it. when we figured right, right when we figured everything out. Right when you got it all figured <laughs> out. No, we'll go figure out another place. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to California next year. That's going to be uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be a treat. Um, now you mentioned something that jumped out because I remember I was there for the practice rounds for the men and. Uh, I think it was Oklahoma. I can't remember, but they had like that six or six ten practice round time. Yeah. And I asked, um, I asked, when did you guys uh, get up? They said, oh, we had like a three forty five wake up call. Yeah. So um, I'm guessing you had at least one or two of those that week. Yeah, we had three. And oh gosh. So the let's see, the second day was the six ten, and then our goal, we had talked to them about, like, look, our goal is to get to that 610 tee time on the third day. Right. Because you get all the advantages for playing well. So we, and we, and we did, we, we were leading and we earned that. <laughs> and that's funny. We get to the 610 tee time and the wind is complete different, completely different than we, we usually play it. So four is playing really long into the wind with that left hole location. That's hard. Yeah. And then six, six is dead downwind to that back right hole location. And you can barely hold the green. So we thought that we were getting an advantage, but the wind switched right after we got done with six and, uh, became a completely different golf course. But yeah, so we had six, 10 second, third round. And then the first round of match plays the six ten tee time. And it was kind of, kind of funny. Mimi had some heat exhaustion. She was dehydrated, had to go to the hospital and get an IV on monday night and so she didn't get back till late and had to wake up at three forty-five. so 
you know, good on her for, for playing so well in the match play portion after having to deal with all that. Now, I'll, I'll give Mimi a break here, but who on the team could potentially be the most cranky at 345? Who who do you just need to keep yeah. who do you need to keep your distance from until well, yeah, until they kind of wake up a little bit? Well, I was going to say her. Okay. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> she she has health issues. I'm not going to pick on her for that. Yeah, uh she's probably our our most prone to mood changes. <laughs> But prone to uh, mood changes, man. You, <laughs> you're going getting into politics after golf, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. But you know, Mimi's Mimi's great. She's she's matured and and she's probably the one that makes me laugh on the road the most. But uh, if I'm going someone other than her, she, her roommate is Carolina. And if we have if we're leaving at say 4:15, they're waking up at 4:05. So I'm thinking it'd probably be her just because she's only been awake 10 minutes. Oh my gosh, wow! <laughs> that's uh, that's got to be you. Okay, so, so we've been telling all these nice stories about your your team, but you know we we saw them for a week straight performing at the highest level. But uh, yeah, I I have to get a little bit. I get you to spill a little bit of dirt. I mean, you mm. must have a lot of nerve wracking times when you know that you, you got to get on the road and they're just kind of zombies rolling out of the hotel, just barely awake. Yeah. Who, who, okay. Actually, who's the one that has the, the worst coffee addiction? Is there one that like can't go without coffee or can't go without, I hate using the term diva. I hate using it, but I mean, we're kind of trending that way. Yeah. Uh, no, no one really is into coffee on our team. I'll tell you, it's the coaching staff. Oh, okay. So, so we start with coffee and I work my way into diet Coke mid morning and, and Kim works her way into Mountain Dew. And Oh my God. Uh, Mountain Dew. I, I, yeah, well, diet Mountain Dew, but oh, I've oh. never seen someone drink so much caffeine in a day as Kim, and so she's she's always energetic, ready to go. Yeah, I think I've used Mountain Dew to kind of get the corrosion off of a battery when trying to jump start it. <laughs> just just throwing that out there. Um, it, 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 yeah, jump starts multiple things. Okay, all right, I, well, well played. I see what you did there. Let's talk about the grandma on the team. Um, sure. That that is uh, Amelia Miliatra. I know that's uh, that's what the team calls her. Um, she's a writer. She's doing media for Golf Channel now, trying to you know you know hone in on what I'm trying to do here. She oh by the way just qualified for the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble, so she's yeah. still going to play a little bit more. Uh, getting married in less than a month, I think, and staying amateur, which I just I'm such a huge fan of. I think that's great. Where is she going to be in ten years? Hmm. I don't know. She could be the first female president for all I know. I mean, I mean I, I, she. Okay. All right. We could start. She, we could start there. But why don't we work yeah. our way down a little bit? Just to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. She. She amazes me, Ben. She. You know, this year she, like you said, she was in school. She was writing her thesis. She's writing for Golf Channel. She's doing podcasts for Bridgestone with Tiger Woods yeah. and Fred Couples and. And I'll, on top of all that, you know, planning a wedding as well. And no, Charlie's doing all, Charlie's doing all that. You know, Charlie's got that whole thing taken care of. Yeah. Well, she she had to do the dress fitting, I guess. Well, that would make more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and on top of that, playing playing great golf for us. So she's she's just a special person, and and, and I she kind of makes me feel bad about myself because I'm like, man, I can only do like one thing decent. Yeah. And she's doing all this, all this stuff at such a high level. So yeah, she's a, she's a special one. I'm glad we had her for six years and, and Kim and I learned just as much from her as, as we may, you know, she may learn from us, but yeah, I, I just think that whatever she chooses to do, she's going to be great at it. And I, I don't know what that is, but um, she certainly kind of moves towards things that she loves and, and she's good at most things. So I'm sure she'll be successful. Okay, so we heard it here first. She's going to be the president of the United States, according. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. She, kidding. <laughs> she could do if she wanted to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember watching. I followed her in her final match um, uh, there in the in the championship, and and I mean, she had that thing pretty much in hand around the 11th or 12th hole, and then mm-hmm. made a couple birdie putts and just had that look about her that she was just like, no, I'm just going to end this really quick. Yeah, but that was that was fun to watch. What what's the toughest part of your job? And I know that. Uh, I mean, right about now, you're thinking, well, there are no tough parts. We're national champions, but at, at some point, there's you know, a job is a job. I don't care if you're you know a, mm-hmm. a podcaster, a coach, uh, you know, playing golf for a living. 
there are parts of every job that's just like, oh man, I got to do that. What's the what's the toughest part of your job? Yeah, that's a good question, and I may be unique as an assistant, but I really do everything that I like to do. Um, so, recruiting, developing players, you know, don- donor relations, fundraising those are the the three main things that I do. I I love the competition, so I love being at, at tournaments, being on the road. So there's just not that much that I, I dislike. I, I guess for me now that I'm a dad and, and our, our girls are seven and nine, that just being away from home is hard. Yeah. And you, you feel like uh, I love our team, but I feel like I don't feel like I am with them way more often than I am my, my wife or kids. So yeah. I, that's hard. And, and they're getting to the age where it's, you know, you're on the road and daddy, I miss you. When are you coming home? So I think that's probably the hardest part. Um, I guess, so what about like filling out expense reports that you have to send to the director of uh, golf operations? <laughs> yeah, that was the worst, but then uh, <laughs> now she does that for us. <laughs> so, so yeah, hire, your wife comes on to be the director of ops to handle that stuff, so you just get it off your plate. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got to find uh, a well-oiled machine at like. Man. So, well, you got you got your you got your boss, you got your wife, who's the director of ops. You can't really yeah. get away with anything, can you? No, I, I got my two bosses are, are on me all day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so yeah. I'm I'm on, I'm on my best behavior. Yeah, I always want to take advantage of an opportunity to talk to coaches, especially bring up topics that juniors can benefit from, or, or parents of juniors for that matter. I think they actually probably need more of the help than the the players themselves. But you know, not not every kid is going to end up playing at a, at a Stanford or a wake or a Florida or Georgia tech, but there's so many opportunities for junior golfers to play college golf, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side. Um, what is maybe, I mean, what, what kind of things do you see out of parents and juniors that if you had to, if you're able to pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's some things you can think about that might, you know, be, be help you out in, in making the decision of what school to go to or making the decision on a coach, um, are there things that that maybe you know parents should keep in mind as their their kids are making that transition? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think you know the inception of the transfer portal. It's it's interesting that you realize you know maybe how many people are unhappy out there or you know second guess the decision they made. But I, I think that's the biggest thing is one you got to find out what's important to you. And you know for me it was. I wanted to stay close to home. I wanted to go to a smaller school. I wanted to be a, a place I could play a lot. And and that may be completely different for people. Other people may want to be away from home in a big city. And um, people just value different things. So I think the big thing is, you know, as a, it, it's obviously the the junior's decision. So it needs to be what, what they like and, and what they need out of that experience. But I think you figure that out and you do your research and um and the other part of that is you know you got to know kind of who you are too so um where you'd fit in and and where you'd play the most i think that's a massive thing is going to a place if you want to play competitively that you're going to play a lot yeah um or at least have a chance to play so i think that's probably the root of most uh, unhappy golfers is you know you're just not getting a chance to play and you're sitting at home and everyone else is getting to experience something different than you so uh, i think that's that's a really important thing yeah yeah tell me tell me yeah i'll I'll pop that back in at some point um yeah tell me about maybe some of the um the the significant moments of the spring that kind of helped set up the run for for a national championship because it's you know Again, one of the things not to, I know I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but you, you, you gotta, you don't have to win your conference. You guys did and, and that's great, but you know, that regionals is just waiting for you and you got to get through that or else the season's over. So maybe talk about how the, talk about the spring. Yeah. So it's a good question. and, And we've talked about in the past that they're great players, but they're also college kids too. And so one of the things that we try to do in our program is is give them a great experience uh, outside of golf. So this spring was really special for us. And 
and to win the NCAA championship at the end really was kind of the, the icing on the cake. But you got, uh, got invited to Augusta National this January, and, and that was an uh, amazing two days for us. And so that was a nice way to start off the spring, but uh, took the whole team to the Bahamas, and, and that was a really neat experience with a beautiful resort and played at Albany where, where Tiger's tournament is. So yeah. uh, that was neat. And, and then went to spring break. We went to West Palm, the whole team, for a couple of days and practiced a little bit. And kind of cool thing I was thinking about on our way, we went to Disney World uh, the next day. And on our way up, we went to Matt Dijon's place. He invited us to hit balls there. Yeah, and he's Fred's coach, Fred Biondi's yeah, coach. So yeah. had a couple of national champions at that at that range this spring, but uh, that was kind of cool. But it, it was really neat. Then the uh, we went to Hollywood Studios, and I was asking them on the way up, like, "What are you guys most excited for?" I thought they were going to say a ride or something like that, and they were all like, "You know, I, I'm really excited just to have a day where I don't play golf and I'm not thinking about golf." And and so that was cool. And, and we rode 17 rides that day. Oh, we were there from like seven to nine 30 at night and, and had a blast. But, um, so, so yeah, did that. And then, you know, like, like you said, ACC's is a important event and, and we lost in the semifinals. And I think that really spurred us on to just making sure that we, we changed some things maybe mentally, um, that really helped us at Greyhawk. Um, and then, like I said, we went to, to mountaintop in between regionals and nationals and it was, it was some good work, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd never seen our, our, our girls as scared as they were that Friday night. So we played golf at mountaintop and then had dinner and we were going to our VRBO and I, we have the sprinter van. So I'm driving the van and we go up this narrow road and then it turns into gravel and it's like nine 30 at night. And we enter this place and there's like on either side of the road, there's these two like creepy bird looking statues. And, oh and, and Lauren's like, Lauren's kind of like our mom. Like she's always calm, mature, collected. And she was like having a really hard time in the back <laughs> like and, taking her to the Bates Motel, basically, to stay for the yeah, yeah perfect, okay, yeah, exactly, and 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 I start hearing like screams in the back, and they're just really bothered, and then we have to make this like ninety degree turn up a gravel road, and the tire starts start starts spinning, and we luckily got up there, but um, I'd never seen our team as as scared as that, so anything we faced the next week wasn't going to be as bad, but, um, that'll, that'll be a, a lasting memory for me of Lauren. So just trying to hold it together. Just, if you just get him to the golf course, he'll be fine. I mean, really you're, but you're a van driver. That's your job. You just got to get him there. Right. <laughs> well, it, it might be the most nerve wracking part of my job just because I'm worried about everyone else on the road, you yeah. know? So, um, get, getting them safe, safely there and, you know, we're, we're, uh, their parents entrust us to, to take care of them. So, so yeah, it, it is part of it. It's not, not all of it, but, um, but yeah, that was a, that was an interesting time. Now, if you were <laughs> in Florida heading down here and then, by the way, you didn't call me. I'm very, I'm just hurt, terribly hurt by that. Um, but no, then you go to <laughs> Disney where did you guys go to Bucky's by any chance? We did not. Okay. Uh, I've been there a couple of times, so yeah. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that I love Disney world okay. and we go a good amount with our family. So I've been down there going down 95, but we did not, we did not make it this time. Okay. All right. Just, just checking. Cause I, I think uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on uh, low key working on a Bucky sponsorship for the back of the range. So I'm trying to, trying, oh, nice. to yeah, trying to make that happen. I mean, just, a, I think that's just a natural fit. Um, well, let me, uh, let me get you out of here. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you have lined up this summer and uh, kind of what you're looking forward to for next year before we, uh, before we get you out of here. Sure. So, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to have some camps. We're going to be recruiting internationally, domestically. We are, my parents always run a house in, in uh, St. Simons. So my nice. brother, his wife and, and their little boy will, will join us and get to play family around the golf and, and hang out at the beach a lot. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, maybe going to Disney early August, 
but uh, you know, the summer will, will fly by and we'll be back to square one before we know it. And we, we have two, I'm really going to miss Lauren and Amelia, but um, they're moving on to great things. And, and we got a couple players that, that we think are going to be very good and, and looking forward to, to helping them and, and helping our returners and got a great schedule in the fall. And, and just, you know, it's kind of funny the way Kim and I's mind work is excited about the NCAA championship, but we go straight to, okay, what do we have to do to, to do it again next year? Yeah. So it's always in the back of your mind, but um, it's exciting. And we'll be here before we know it. All right. Well, you talked about this summer. The one thing you left off is I think you, I think you got a wedding invite. You got a wedding yeah. to, uh, to go to Amelia and Charlie are, are uh, uh, getting hitched this summer. And um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, Wake Forest uh, people in attendance. I think I think the national championship trophy is going to be somewhere. On, it's got to be somewhere. I know it's going to be in the building at some point. At some point, that dance floor is going to open up. So yeah. I'm sure that that will be there. Will be iPhones out recording for future uh, blackmail uh, purposes. Who's going to be your target uh, to make sure you record some some action on the dance floor? I think this is pretty easy. We got a few international players who who won't be there. They'll be back home. And um, I'll, I'll make sure to, to get some good video because I'm not going to be the worst dancer because I don't step foot on the dance floor. Perfect. But but I think that, you know, Lauren and Rachel may be the only two that are going to be there. And I've seen Rachel in my van. She's the DJ and I've seen her dance. So I'm thinking it's going to be Rachel. Uh-huh. Well, I, and I'm sure that she's trying to make sure that her her budding dance career gets off to a good start. So I'm sure the video will be shared with the back of the range so we can put that out on social media. I mean, that's really what needs to happen, I'm sure. Yep, yeah, we'll make sure of that. <laughs> I appreciate the time. Congrats on uh, the great accomplishment, getting that first uh, program title for Wake Forest in the desert. And uh, have a good summer. Sounds like it's action-packed, and uh, we'll see you next year. Um, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. All right. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Special thanks to Ryan Potter for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everything you need to know this summer during the Elite Amateur Golf Series can be found on the website, thebackoftherange.com or eliteamateurgolfseries.org. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.